Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, and once again, I'd like to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit of math today uh, on the pod, which I'm looking forward to. We're going to spend uh, hopefully a couple episodes here over the course of the next month or so diving into content areas uh, so we can get some resources, uh, not only for at school, but also for that remote setting. Uh, and to do that, we're going to have the opportunity to speak with leaders from different cadres uh, by content area. And so I'm really excited today uh, to have the opportunity to visit with Kelly Georges uh, as uh, we're going to explore the topics that she brings from the math cadre. So that being said, welcome to the podcast today, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to our, our conversation. Can you, I gave you a little bit of an introduction there, but can you, for people that don't know you, can you kind of fill them in a little bit about your personal history and education? Sure. So I started by teaching sixth grade for years and years in Lincoln, and then I had an opportunity uh, after finishing my master's to work with the Nebraska math grant. And so I took a couple years off of classroom teaching and was a full-time grad student at UNL, which allowed me to teach graduate classes, undergraduate classes. I did research. It was amazing a couple of years at UNL. And in that time then I finished my PhD in education. So all of my research is in math education. I moved to Omaha worked for school districts uh, and then found my spot here at ESU too. So I serve 16 schools and we are all west of Omaha uh, with our office being in Fremont. Wow, and with uh, such a wealth of experiences there, uh, <laughs> everything from your PhD to working with all of these different districts, I'm sure you've had an opportunity over the course of that time to kind of refine your uh, perspective on the discipline of math, right, and your philosophy maybe. And so um, let's start there. Let's kind of talk a little bit about kind of how you understand that work and what you might share with others about and what you've kind of gleaned from from this myriad of experiences. Yeah, so I, I do have a pretty strong perspective on what we are trying to do in math education. I think that there's been a lot of times where We've tried to teach kids things in isolation and things that are rote and uh, sort of that idea of regurgitating what a teacher has taught me on problems that look just like the ones that I did with a teacher. For example, even though I had a great education, I know that I spent a lot of time sitting in a seat, watching a teacher solve a problem, writing it down, and then doing a whole bunch of problems that look just like that. But what we're trying to do is really create a whole bunch of problem solvers. So not just when they see a math problem that looks like something they've already seen, they can solve it. But when they see something that's unknown, when they see a real world problem in their life that they can attempt to tackle it. So for example, right now with all the COVID stuff that's happening, just thinking about all the math that's involved, how do we try to look at infection rates? How do we look at all the different statistics involved and how do you make that? I mean, it's all a math problem. And so how do you think about that and how might you look at solving it? And so just all of those like real world things, um, just creating these real problem solvers. 
That's interesting because uh, there was a podcast I listened to not too long ago. Surprised that somebody who hosts a podcast would listen to podcasts, <laughs> but uh, and it was referencing research from a, a while ago, at around year two thousand, I think, where people were really starting to delve into that idea of okay, why is it that in the United States maybe we're a little bit behind some other countries with regards to uh, how we're scoring in math? Uh, and that podcast and the research that they were citing contended that a lot of that had to do with exactly what you're talking about there. That whole idea that which is my formal education as well. We're going to sit here and we're going to do this so often that you can memorize or you can at least get into line with this one way of solving this enough that you will be successful at it. And a lot of people weren't, surprisingly, not surprisingly enough. Uh, and so uh, with that then, yeah, I've noticed even with my own kiddos, because I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, that their approach to math seems very different from what I was familiar with. And I know other parents too will say to me all the time, I don't get how these kids are doing math today. This is a, they're doing mm -hmm. new math. It is even in one of the Incredibles movies. And I laughed. Uh, but I have seen that clip. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so I'm excited to hear more and kind of like learn more about that, that perspective. And so what does that kind of look like? Yeah. In, in the classroom or in practice, when you say uh, that we want to make this rooted in real world type problems uh, and that there maybe is more than one way to solve those or to think about those because it's more about the strategy, right? Than it is the actual problem itself. Yeah, so when I work with teachers, first of all, it's super important to start with great high quality materials. And as I've been in this role for, um, this is my sixth school year now, and so we've helped a lot of the schools get to having those great high quality materials. So from those, there's great problems. And so, you know, the teacher kind of opens up that manual and says, hey guys, here's this problem. And it may or may not even sound mathematical at first, but once kids start talking about it and that talk is crucial, then it's really looking at different strategies and how does my strategy, if I drew a table, look like your strategy because you drew pictures and how can we connect those and how can you relate what you're thinking to what someone else is thinking to really help understand the math as a whole, not just this like one single isolated thing. Rather, math is this whole interconnected thing. We're always uh, looking for connections. In fact, when the new standards were rewritten, there's, I always tell teachers, the most important page of the Nebraska State Standards is the first one, and it's boring, and it's plain black and white. Every other page is color, and this is like, this one boring page is the most important, and that is the math processes. So the what we want kids to learn by grade level is in the standards, but this is how we want kids to learn. And it's really simple. It's like four things. We want kids to solve problems, like i.e. not the teachers. We want kids to solve and kids to think. We want them to talk about math. So there's like this communication happening, whether it's written or verbal. We want kids to make connections. So we want them to think about the connection with the math they're doing and outside of that, like in their lives, but then also the connections within math. So what's that relationship between multiplication and division, between addition and subtraction, things like that. And then we want kids to represent math in those ways. So how do you see math in the real world? And then what's that representation look like? Are you drawing it? Are you using tables? Like how are you representing math? And so those four things are the main processes that we want kids to be doing. And so every day in your classroom, you should see those. 
everyday kids are problem solving. Every day they're talking about math. And those are just absolutely crucial. And once those are happening, kids are really learning because not only are they interacting with other kids, they're interacting with the teachers and they're interacting with the math. They're the ones that are doing it. Well, I'm just going to build off of your answer there then and say for those four pieces, can we just run through like each of those and kind of talk practically about what those examples might look like? And as you're talking about that, some things have come to mind for me at least. And the first one is problem solving. And as a parent with two kids at home uh, during this time and trying to really kind of get around some of that learning loss that is likely to take place naturally over a summer, but definitely when you add another two and a half months (laughs) with that, uh, I've gotten on to amplify fractions. Uh, and I really like that uh, program for my daughter because you get a character and your character goes on this little journey and they run into these situations where a problem presents itself for the character. And it doesn't look like a math problem when you're talking about it. It's just a real life scenario or things, but it come to find out, yes, you need fractions in this context. And it was really uh, authentic to sort of, my, my daughter just got swept up in the narrative uh, but then it showed her that applicability between those concepts and, and their day-to-day. And, and I loved it for that aspect. So was that, that's kind of what you're talking about, right? How do we make yep. this a problem-solving piece? Yeah. Um, do you have any other kind of like resources in that vein, maybe? Um, as far as resources, I would say two of my favorite that kind of go along with this same theme. Uh, one of them is called UCube, and it is around the idea of growth mindset and as well problem-solving. So it has tons of problems that you could give a kid. I mean, it could just be a question like, Hey, if we were getting ice cream and there were 10 different flavors, like how many combinations do you think we could make if we picked two flavors? I mean, it could be something really simple like that, but then a kid could take off from there and say, well, what if there was three options? What if I could have three scoops? And what if none of them could be the same? Or what if order matters? Or there's so much in that one little question about ice cream, really. And so that resource, Ucubed, gives tons of those sorts of problems, but it also has videos for parents and what is growth mindset? How do we encourage growth mindset in kids? And how do we help them see that, yes, you may struggle, but that's where the growth is. Um, So that's one of my favorites. One of my other favorite resources is learningtrajectories.org, which is developed by Doug Clements, who I may or may not total fangirl. (laughs) Um, but he really developed the idea of learning trajectories, which is kids don't just go from not knowing to knowing overnight or in one setting, but they need lots of things along the way to help them learn. And so how do we provide those supports to help them learn? So for example, with kids learning to add, it's not just okay, here's how you add. Here's what adding means. Here's a whole bunch of problems that you should just do in practice. But it's really about the idea of addition. I know this might sound silly, but it starts like nearly at birth. And so if you think about the idea of peekaboo, that's addition and subtraction, right? So you're here and then I'm gone and then I'm back. That idea is really rooted in math. And so when you think about addition and subtraction that young and how do we help kids see it and then once you are thinking about more facts how do you root those in this trajectory and on that resource there's videos there's games and any of the games like there's you can print out the uh, game boards or whatever that are included 
And so everything is in this resource and it's free. You do have to register. They don't ever email you. It's just so that they can see how many people are registered. Um, but it runs through pretty much birth to age eight-ish. Uh, it's also, there's some really good resources. So there's some videos of kind of hearing him talk about it. It's also, if you are a preschool teacher, it's connected to Learning Strategies Gold. So that's all in there as well. Gosh, and those resources that you're talking about are hitting some of those, those big four. And you're going to tell me this, problem solving, talking it out, strategies, and kind of diversifying those. And which one am I missing? Connections. Oh, and connections. Oh, yeah, of course. And that would make sense. And that's something that I've been able to observe classes where teachers have done an expert job with number talks. Uh, and I, that falls Amazing. in this conversation too, which I absolutely love. And if, uh, if you're not familiar with number talks, the uh, best that I'm able to explain it is I, I try to just give an example all the time that 18 times five is a problem, right? Is something that you can solve a myriad of ways. And whenever I was a kid, you would just sit down and memorize it. And if we, if, with that being outside of the 12 times 12 that I was forced to memorize, I'd go, I don't know how to do that. But I, I love that uh, as a teacher, you kind of facilitate that type of uh, conversational strategic thinking through a problem, right? Where you would say, okay, well, who has a strategy? Or I didn't think I was gonna get the whole example here, but I'll do it. <laughs> Uh, where you would say, okay, what are our potential answers for this? And you would get answers and not say any of those are correct or incorrect, but just sort of field those on the front end. Uh, and then afterwards say, okay, what strategies led to some of these answers? And so people should raise their hand. And, you know, for me, I would probably try to work through the problem and say, okay, five times 10 is 50, five times eight is 40. 50 and 40 together makes 90. And there's my answer uh, where somebody else might say, well, I'm going to do that a little bit different and say, if I double the five and I take half of the 18, then 10 times nine is 90. And that is so not where my mind went. And, it, <laughs> and what's incredible about number talks, I think, is just that you start to promote everything that you're talking about here and giving students the freedom and the flexibility to, to think in an, about that work in a way that makes sense to them, which is consistent across all these things that I think that we're talking about. Uh, and, and it's cool too, to challenge students to say, how many can you come up with? Which is really just <laughs> that computational thinking, right? It's just like really forcing them into that with, with those kind of challenges, but it makes it fun. And I always try to advocate for that stuff when I can. I think that one of the biggest things in, especially elementary math, but um, once that's understood it, it carries out through high school and college is the idea that you're allowed to take apart and put numbers back together however it makes sense to you. So if it makes sense to say 18 is a 10 and an eight, and then I can multiply each by five and put them back together, awesome. If you wanna say that 18 is just two less than 20, so if I had 25s, you know, and then subtract. And so just understanding that it's okay you don't have to follow a certain path just because it's the way the kid next to you did it or the way that the teacher did it. But you can be creative and say, this makes sense to my brain, so I'm going to do it this way. And then that's where the communication comes in. Like, okay, so if I did 20 times five and then subtracted and you did 10 and eight times five and put them back together, like how do those look the same and how do they look different? Because we're going to get the same answer. And so really... Um, then spend some time linking those strategies so that everyone in the class, because you might have a kid who's drawing a picture. Drawing pictures is 
um, a primary strategy that we sometimes kids will continue to use when they're confused. I mean, sometimes I draw pictures of stuff to make sense of it. And so we do want kids to draw pictures and use representations, but there are times where we want them to go to mental math. And since you had your kid example, I'll throw out one of mine is sometimes when we're shopping, my daughter will say, Hey, this is on sale. Can I get it? It's 30% off. And my response is always, if you can figure it out, how much it's going to be, then you can get it right. Like you can't use a calculator. If you can figure out 30% off without a calculator, sure. You can get it. <laughs> I'm totally just, stealing that by the way. Yeah, my kiddos, it's I like that. a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, like, so there's a real world math problem talking about percentages and how do you find a percent of something? And if I find 30% is that the total, well, no, I need to subtract. And is there a faster way? Well, I could just find 70%. Like, those are all then conversations that my children are lucky enough to have with me on a normal, you know, everyday basis. <laughs> Wait, you mean, you mean math problems exist in the real world in our day-to-day -day lives? I can't believe that can't be true. Right? <laughs> I know. And there's, there's so many opportunities, especially over the summer here as a lot of kids are just home because there's not as much going on or on uh, this spring over COVID or not knowing what is to come that parents can do. So like cooking with kids, helping them put together the grocery list and budget it and just things that parents can do that will involve their kids in that real life math. Well, and I think that's a good pivot to talk a little bit about remote learning, right? I know that there are a number of schools that are planning on starting back in person. There's always, uh, you know, until we have a vaccine, I would say the possibility at least that we do return to remote learning at times. And a number of our schools are even looking at a hybrid where that's <laughs> going to start probably in the first week. And so to, to give a little bit of time to think through that space as we're growing from what was emergency remote learning in the spring. And, and I think I like the idea that we have a summer now to prep where we had like a weekend before. That's a big difference. <laughs> so um, with some of this time, as you might be thinking about what we could do in that space, uh, and we can say with primary or, or elementary, I know we've kind of focused on that, but just at any, any grade level, what does it look like to start to be a little bit more, I would say just a little more effective, maybe a little more creative with some of the remote opportunities? Because uh, it does get tiring, I think, for our learners when there is maybe an instructional piece and then 50 practice problems and get ready because we're going to revisit that again tomorrow and the next day. And if we go remote for a quarter or a year, <laughs> that, well, that's not sustainable is the, is the whole point. And I don't think that it's necessarily hitting upon the things that we're talking about here today either. And so how can we be better in that space? So I think that it, I think it's super important for teachers to think through what do I want kids to do when they're with me? versus what do I want kids to do when they may not be with me? So whether that looks like hybrid or whether that looks like we're remote learning, but I have time on Zoom, what are the things that I need kids to do with me? So that is the communication, the math talk, the discussion, asking questions, and a lot of that um, real world thinking versus what can they do on their own? Well, they can do some practice, whether it's a, on paper or online. They can watch a video. They can do some reading or whatever that looks like, you know, per grade level. What are the things they really need from me? And that is, I think, where it comes down to the, the communication, really making those connections. And then I think teachers need to consider what a parent's need. And so if I'm asking students to 
use the distributive property in third grade, which is a state standard, what does that look like and how can I help parents understand that? And so maybe even putting out some videos like, hey, the distributive property is exactly the problem we talked about earlier with 18 times five, taking it apart and making it a 10 and an eight, taking each one times five and putting it back together. That's the distributive property. It doesn't just apply to algebra. So how can um, we help parents understand the math in a way that we want kids to understand math? Well, and intertwined with that, I think that your suggestions bring up another critical piece that we're also, many of us, many of us are trying to think through right now, and that's that relationships. Uh, and so if I'm at school and we're having rich conversations about how math can help us to make better decisions and, and solve problems in life, that's terrific rather than me sitting in my desk doing 30 problems. And if I'm going to a remote setting and there's a video, as you mentioned, that the teacher has made, and I continue to advocate that as much as we all don't like to see ourselves on a video, <laughs> put your face in there. Research shows that if it's a person that they know, their engagement goes up, right? And so then you get to be in that space with them and learning. And there's, there's a connection there, even though uh, it's kind of one way uh, through that video piece. If you can do Zoom, even better. But it's incredibly helpful too for the parents to see the teacher and to hear that and to understand so we don't end up with that incredible situation uh, that we referenced earlier. Uh, and, and I think our, our families will really appreciate that. So yeah, anything else to kind of round out our thinking as it pertains to, to that remote setting? Um, I'll, I'll fill in with one more idea is I also have had my son on Zern. Uh, and I know that's a, a paid for thing, but to the degree that, again, many districts have their own high quality instructional materials that you could access. Uh, but Zern, I have had an opportunity to, to tinker with, and it does some of the things that we're talking about as far as asking learners to, to take a certain problem and then to sort of diversify the ways in which you can solve it. And it does it through many games that you just move from one to the next to the next. And it's very fast paced with that uh, in a way that's also very visually appealing and the game aspect of it really was uh, intriguing to my six-year-old son, so. I think that there's a lot of learning that can occur in games. And if, if your school provides a great resource like Zern, wonderful. However, if, you, if maybe you don't have that resource, that's where I think something like Learning Trajectories comes in. You can play some of the games that they have that are just you know with paper or with things around the house. And so whether you have great connectivity or not, I think there's just a lot of things that parents can be doing at home that can maybe bridge that gap if kids are doing remote learning. Yeah, my, uh, well, another thing too, now this is all coming to my, my brain as we're talking about it, but my son's teacher asked him to go outside with his iPad and find numbers in the neighborhood and construct a number sentence, you know, for kindergarten, awesome. like by taking, yeah, pictures or snapping the three off the mailbox and, you know, the two off of the curb and, and putting those together kind of visually. And it, it got us outside, you know, we went on a walk at the same time and it just kind of took that thinking into another space. So I like what you're advocating for there. I think that's really Even, good. Um, and then this takes me back to my classroom days. I took my middle schoolers outside to the park that was connected to our school when we were learning about 3D shapes. And so we would go outside and be like, okay, we're walking and what do you see? And like, they would say, you know, the light post is just a really tall cylinder and this is that. And like walking through, you see all the things that we're talking about. We could be sitting in the classroom, looking at pictures and looking at real life examples, but let's go outside. 
And I mean, I, again, middle schoolers who would know, I gave them sidewalk chalk and we solved math problems on the sidewalk of the school and it was great. And then I literally walked outside that day and kids were like pointing like, hey, I did this, this is my work. Middle schoolers, <laughs> like it, make it fun. It doesn't have to be sitting at the table and paper pencil, like you can take kids outside and do it a lot of different ways. Well, and I think another piece to add with that too, because I've heard teachers say, well, I can't ensure that somebody has sidewalk chalk, or I can't ensure that they have a device that they can travel with to take pictures of. And, and I w that is valid. So I, I'm certainly not challenging that. Uh, I'd, I'd like to sort of offer uh, a workaround and say, that's, I think, where choice can come in. And you say, hey, you can do this on the handout or the Google form or the traditional way we've done this in class. However, these other things are available or, or if you can think of something on your own, feel free to pursue that and allow them to have those avenues should they have those resources. And I would go so far as to say too, then when someone does the really cool 3D SketchUp or whatever with sidewalk chalk, try to share that through your communication page or your LMS or however it is that you're getting things out because then learners can kind of see other people, right? <laughs> that they're learning with, which I think is really important, uh, but it also showcases creativity and, and empowers them to think about, hey, there are other ways of doing this and my classmates are doing that and maybe I could do that next time if I've given, given this option. And so uh, uh, I understand the limitations that come with not being able to ensure the materials that everybody has, uh, but that just might be a place for choice. And I think that um, sometimes in math, we view it as something that's just very cut and dry and doesn't allow for creativity, but there's so much creativity that kids can have in math. The way that they think about it, the way that they solve it, the way they draw their representations can all be creative. And so just allowing for like, you can solve this however you want. How, how do you think about it? And letting kids, um, even at different ages, kind of going back to that ice cream problem, like you could have a kindergartner solve that problem, but you could also have a high schooler, you know, use combinations and permutations to solve it. So the idea that one problem can span over grade levels and really um, involve different processes and different strategies is great. Well, and I'm going to be selfish as a teacher here <laughs> and so, uh, and say that, which would you rather grade, right? 30 of the same problem or to field all of these different ways that your students have done these different things. And there's, there's some feel goods that, that come along with that, I think. Uh, and so, so yeah, it's okay to say that it would be really awesome to do this on some level because that'll be more exciting for, for you because you'll get to see their creativity and meet them in that space. Uh, I, I'm right with you on all of that. Uh, it is amazing, as I say every week, it seems, that how fast a half an hour goes. <laughs> so I am going to ask to close out our conversation today. If there's anything that you'd kind of like to leave as a parting message or one more thing to kind of advocate for, but uh, we've certainly covered a lot today. So yeah, um, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. I guess I would just reiterate, you know, if parents are listening, like, let your kids be creative understand that there's we're, schools aren't advocating for this one way to solve problems, but just let your kid be creative and let them use their own thoughts about problem solving to problem solve and don't feel like you have to do all the teaching. And then I guess my message to teachers is just to think about if things are remote, what does that look like and how can you still have conversations and make it interactive for kids? And if we're at school, um, you know, having to social distance and wear masks, how do you make that happen? And 
just remembering that uh, for, for everyone, not just parents and not just uh, teachers, we're really trying to create problem solvers, not just a bunch of kids who know their math facts and that's it, but, but real problem solvers who can look at our world um, as they get older and help us solve the things that are happening. Gosh, could not agree more, Kelly. And if I'm an ESU too, you're getting an email from me saying that I want to work <laughs> on some math stuff as awesome. we get ready for the fall. And so I would strongly encourage any classroom teachers as well and, and districts to continue to utilize our, our ESU staff just across the state, right, that are able to, to kind of step in and help in these capacities and uh, advocate for that work like you're doing right now today on the podcast. So Kelly, thank you so much for your time and hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up again soon. Thanks for having me. 